It's April 1st, 2021. This is Rook. She is a Swedish-Iranian singer who came to fame when she brought the house down as a contestant on the Gugush Music Academy. But now she's made her focus the plight of women in developing countries and in Iran in particular. Argavon will join us from Stockholm to discuss her book, her role as Swedish UN Ambassador for Women, and her global project called Artdom. But first, she is a rising social media presence due to her very funny meditations on being an English girl coming to terms with her Iranian background. Kimia Yousafi, or Okimia, as she's known, joins us from London to give her take on being Persian. Plus a new edition of It's All Persian to Us with Keon. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode number 98 of Rook. Namado hashed, Kiana. Yes, Farsi. yes, thank you, Jean. You're welcome. A lot. Just two days, <laughs> two days, two shows away from our 100th and our one year anniversary. We're about to turn one years old, our 100th show next week. We have a very special guest for that show. We're looking forward to that. Welcome to those of you listening around the world in Toronto, in Toulouse, in Tehran, in Turin, in Toledo, Tabriz, Tulsa, Taipei, Tokyo, Tashkent, and Calgary. <laughs> hope you're all doing okay hope you are mizun hope you're ready for another edition of rook big show today big show we are on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of iranian diaspora identity we're coming to you on spotify soundcloud instagram taipei tulsa tabriz toledo <laughs> itunes Castbox, telegram if you like to see some visuals with rook switch over to our youtube channel right now uh, and if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian and Farsi, check us out on Telegram. Hi, Kian. Hi. The Gian. fabulous Kian. Yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Coming up in about 45 minutes, or maybe about an hour from now, Arrevon. She of the lovely voice, she captured the imagination and attention of millions of Iranians around the world in, uh, and in Iran when she performed on Gugush Academy. Do you remember Gugush Academy? This I was about do. 10 years ago. It was like a, uh, an American Idol of mm. you know uh, competition, but uh, with Gugush as, so cool. the, as the judge or you know, yeah. playing a prominent role there. So Aragavon was part of that. She becomes very well known. Then she pivots and has since then dedicated her life to being an advocate for women in Iran and around the world. Um, looking forward to speaking to her. Apparently, she's also just recently had COVID. Oh, yeah, no. uh, in Norway or in Pakistan. She's Ooh. been traveling, so oh. hope she's okay. We'll get to her in Stockholm. Aragavon coming up. Before that, something a little different. Kimia Yousafi. Oh, Kimia is uh, what she goes by uh, on her Instagram page. She She's this English woman 
I know you know her stuff. Mm-hmm. You've been uh, following yeah. her on Instagram. Well, she's she's in her early 20s, and I love what she's been doing on Instagram and on TikTok, exploring and uh, rediscovering her Persian background. She's very funny. So she's not won any huge awards. She she is not someone with some riveting story about escaping Iran during the, the revolution because she wasn't alive during the revolution. But she tells these stories on social media about the, the daily plight of being a Persian girl in the UK. And it's really compelling stuff. And obviously it's connecting with hundreds of thousands of Iranians uh, in Iran and around the world. We, we've so often heard from people saying, why do you only have big celebrities or award winners on your program? Well, here's someone who's doing her bit to uh, bridge the cultural gap, and she's not a huge star, not yet. I'd say she's gonna be. She's really quite a character. She's got a law degree, but she's doing these funny videos. Kimia Yousefi, oh Kimia coming up. Looking forward to that. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Uh, You have, uh, you come with, uh, you've gone full Taliban when it goes to the beard. <laughs> That's a, you see? I mean, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's the, doubled in size since it's, Monday. It, I, like it's <laughs> almost like a paste-on beard. Like it's like a really big beard. Like a fake oh, beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Leslie that. Nielsen. I, f- I fear I'm going to see like YouTube videos of him with like religious edicts or something. You know? No, but it's it seems to be very uh, popular amongst certain ladies oh you're getting good <laughs> reaction to your beard for, well, from one person who's the most important Aww. review ever uh, and, that, and that's why I'm wearing my beard like this okay. and that my girlfriend's who's encouraging me to keep growing it and growing is it that right it. she I wants you to grow a full on uh, Jack Dorsey the long yeah, yes kinda. yes yeah, Jack yeah. Dorsey really? is the goal yeah Jack Dorsey for yeah. people who don't know is the CEO of Twitter and got a long and has a Gandalf like beard Gandalf like yeah, yeah. yeah like Santa well Claus. you look uh, you look Ugly. You you look like a stereotypical terrorist. I mean, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's nice to see it. You are undoing the stereotypes. Because you're such a good man, people will see you and go, oh, that's not what a terrorist looks like. You know, he's a good man. (laughs) Maybe one day they cast me as the lead romantic. Uh, that's right. That's right. Long you are beard. untangling the stereotypes. <laughs> Good right. man. Right. And hello, Groovy Shia. so so now shaya i have yes. a question for you yeah. do you when i speak farsi like uh-huh. that when i speak persian do you or do you have you ever judged me based on my accent no never uh, well no. you're a nice person have you do you feel like you've ever been judged based on the way you speak english my english uh uh, yeah, uh, honestly, I'm judged by Iranian, not non-Iranian. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, so, yeah. I- Iranians judge yes, you yes, based yes. on what? What? Be, uh, they, they are judging me that maybe I'm not a, a edu- educated people that I'm speaking English in that way. But so uh, interesting. Yeah. So you haven't got that from English-speaking people. You've got that from other Iranians. Yeah. From, uh, wow. I was thinking for our clubhouse Rook Town Hall tomorrow night. You know, every Friday night we do the Rook Town Hall, eight o'clock Eastern. That's sort of Toronto, New York time. So yeah. figure out what time that is for you guys out there. But uh, we do this town hall on Clubhouse, which is the new app where it's audio and there's these rooms. A chat room basically and we do the rook town hall i was thinking for tomorrow night of asking the question 
are you judged based on your accent? As, and this is something that's germane to a lot of Iranians who are mm-hmm. sensitive about how whether they have an accent, uh-huh. how deep is the accent, how do people see you? If yeah. you have a, are you are you seen as less educated or something as you as you've just said? Mm-hmm. And I find that in speaking Farsi the way I do in uh, Persian with with uh, my dumb accent, you know, <laughs> that it's people don't, uh, at least I worry, I worry that people uh, don't know that mm. I, I'm a thinker or that I can, uh, that my, what my vocabulary might be in English if they just hear me speaking in Persian. So the question around this came up because producer Susan last week was saying, I was saying, how come you don't join us on Clubhouse? And she was, she was saying, I'm a little nervous about mm. it. And she said, I, I, I don't feel comfortable people hearing me with my accent oh. uh, because I, I feel like they'll judge me on, based on my accent. So I thought that was an interesting, interesting topic for us. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, And it's something that Kimia Yousefi, maybe I'll bring it up in the inter- interview with her, it's something that she has deconstructed in some of her videos, you know, that, that she uh, talks about both Iranians and the kind of, uh, of course, within the Iranian community, there's different accents too, depending on which city you yes. come from, yeah, and people right. are judged based on that. And uh, So it, it opens up a lot of questions. So we'll get to that. Clubhouse tomorrow night. If you're not on Clubhouse yet, you do need an iPhone, but... But uh, you, if you can join and then uh, you can find me, you can find Rook Media on Clubhouse and uh, we'll see you there tomorrow night. Friday night, that is, at 8 p.m. when we have our regular town hall. By the way, tomorrow is also a birthday. Oh. Do you know, do you know whose birthday it's it is? It's not yours. It's not my birthday. It's not Reza's. Is it? Sh- no, it's not Shia's. Shia's it's, birthday is it's, it's, it's actually the birthday of someone who's in the Rook uh, family. I know. I know. Am I allowed to say? Yes. I know, though. Oogie. It's Oogie's oh, birthday. Right. Oogie. My little boy, Oogie. I have, a fr- I have a French. <laughs> I have a French bulldog named Oogie. Uh, he is. He's brilliant. He's Tassil Kardia. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's been to a number of schools. You know, he's, uh, and he turns three tomorrow. Aww. You know, uh, and uh, so I've been preparing, getting gifts. So we're gonna have a little birthday party for him, and. Uh, this week, I think Reza knows this story because he, he saw Oogie <laughs> earlier this week, but I have a friend who has taken Oogie to babysit him a few times. You know, like I'm a single dad, I've got mm. Oogie, and sometimes it's like a real relief for somebody <laughs> to take Oogie. He's a young lad, he's three years old tomorrow. You know, he, he requires a lot of attention. I gotta take him out a few times a day. We go running together, whatever. Um, very in shape French bulldog, by the way. But, you know, he, he requires a lot of attention. So it's a relief when somebody, and I'm so grateful to this friend who once in a while, uh, she loves Oogie and she says, Could I? And she's got kids and they play with Oogie. And so she took Oogie on the weekend. Mm. And uh, now you may have heard that coconut oil is good for dogs. That is, some people consider coconut oil good for dogs. Have you ever heard I that? I didn't Kim? know that, no. You know nothing about dogs, right? I don't right? have yeah. a dog. Yeah, right, right. I've never had a But dog. if you did, you would know that there's a, I mean, some controversy about this. Is it really good? Is it not good? Is it good for their skin? Does it help with their diet? Whatever. So this friend of mine had taken Oogie at the weekend and texted me and said, by the way, do you want me to, you know, use some coconut oil with Oogie? Uh <laughs> Because that would, you know, I'm assuming that this was in an effort to be helpful. You know, she wants to take care of young Oogie. And I think, oh, it's fabulous. Thank you so much. I said, of course, you know, that's lovely. And this person has been very caring about Oogie, you know. So I I assume that, and and I think she's had dogs before. So I assume, I, I just assume she knows what she's doing with coconut oil. Now, let me tell you that. 
when it comes to dogs and coconut oil, <laughs> the the main <laughs> the main application of of coconut oil is to put a very little bit in the food. Like the dog, you put you put a little bit on the kibble of like maybe like a quarter of a teaspoon or something, something like that. Uh, now, in some cases, you can take a little bit of the coconut oil, rub it in your hands, so there's not very much, right, and then apply it to the dog's coat. You know, like you kind of you you, you massage uh, the dog, and and that's to help with dry skin. It's a very small amount. Okay. Well. <laughs> I get Oogie back on Monday. <laughs> you see where this is going. I mean, this dog looked like, you know those Bollywood stars that are greased Gross. down with the, like, like a 1950s rocker, you know, like, he, like with the, like, he was I mean, he was actually wet. She apparently thought that what, what she's supposed to do is bathe, is drench Oogie. Uh, unbeknownst to Oogie, like uh, you know, in coconut oil. So, and the first thing I go to pick him up, and, and it's outside, you know, she's <laughs> handing over. To, and I look at him, I'm like, what's different about Oogie? Like, did he just have a bath or something? <laughs> His coat is a little darker, darker, and he's like, you know, it's wet and greasy, kind of like, I'm like, what's going on? I don't notice the smell until we come in, you know, and I bring him up to the, the studio to my office here. And I'm like, what's going on? What's the, this dog reeked of like <laughs> this combination of coconut oil and whatever she put on this. And, and he's just, and he knows, right? I mean, it's like with the time with the Rasu, like he knows that something, like he's kind of looking at me like, sorry, dad, like not my fault, you know, a drenched Oogie in this coconut oil. And slowly I see like um, Captain Reza and Savvy Roham, like, you know, everybody usually says hi to Oogie and they can't like, they touch him and like, then they have to go wash it. He's greasy. Like he's like wet, you know? Okay, did you give him a bath? On his birthday week, you know? (laughs) Oogie, like, and Oogie, poor Oogie, like, I could tell he thought that he'd done something wrong. Like, he kind of had the look on his face when he, uh, you know, when he gets excited and tinkles a little bit. And I'm like, Oogie, did you do that? You know, he's got that, and he's like, "Mm," like, kind of looking at me. Uh, he was just like so soaked in coconut oil. <laughs> so funny. And I called my friend and I was like, what, what did you think that you're supposed to like, you know, <laughs> pour coconut in. oil all over this dog? And she's like, yeah, I guess it was oil. a bit much. And, you know, I mean, she was very kind about it. She offered to take him back and wash him. And, you know, but uh, it was another oogie disaster. <laughs> and on his birthday week, I just felt so bad for Aww. him. So we got him cleaned up and tomorrow it's going to be oogie's third birthday. That's cute. Okay, sweet. Hey, we've launched our patrons page, uh, and we, we'd love your help. If you're a listener of Rook, if you like what you hear, you support our content, or you appreciate our platform uh, dedicated to this connective tissue of Iranian diaspora identity, uh, $10 a month or 5 bucks a month is helpful. It really is. Uh, it takes you a second. You go to our website, rookmedia.com, and you press click, or you click on support us you press click you press support us uh rookmedia.com five bucks or ten bucks a month you become a patron of rook and we crowdfund this show and we really appreciate when you guys sign up we see you on the list and we thank you for it all right captain reza groovy shia 
the fabulous Keon, by the way, a new installment of It's All Persian to Us. Yes. Coming up right after Kimia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Agamon in about an hour from now. But let's get to our first guest. My first guest today is an English girl with a law degree who also happens to be very funny. And in recent years, she's been getting back in touch with her Persian roots, and she's taken to TikTok and Instagram, where she's become very popular, reflecting on Persian culture, untangling stereotypes, and teaching English and Farsi words in a very humorous way. Take a listen to this. In Persian, we don't say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. We say, and I think that's quite aggressive, but beautiful. <laughs> the beeps added by her, by the way, not by us. A little taste of Kimia Yousefi from her Instagram page, Oh Kimia. So she left Iran at six years old, grew up mostly around English folks, and only recently, in her early 20s, started to reconnect with her Iranian background. Now she's developing a huge audience around the world and in Iran for her very funny videos, her skits, her reflections on our culture as she shares her adventure of learning to be Persian in the diaspora. Right now, Kimia Yousefi joins me from London, England today. Hello. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm I'm very well. I'm very happy to have you on the program. I love that you went from uh, you went and got a law degree like Tatsil Kade, and now you're making funny videos on the internet. That's a, a Persian parent's dream. <laughs> I know. Honestly, I didn't even think that would like even happen. I guess the pandemic and the whole coronavirus does a lot of things. Like it makes you like do things differently in your life, basically. But I'm glad. I'm glad I actually. I'm in this place and, uh, you know, I'm where I am at the moment. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I posted some of the videos I have. Where you are in the moment is actually in the your boss's office at the sweet shop in London <laughs> that you that you work it's at? It's not a sweet shop. What it's, is it? It's like a, it's a luxurious Persian lounge. Oh, it's, this is what my boss likes to call it. And it is. It's, it's really nice inside. I actually put a video of it on my Instagram the other day. And everyone were like, oh, and I'm like, I'm like, no, it's just, it's my boss's Persian lounge, basically. <laughs> but I bet when your parents introduce you, they say, in law hunde. like they, they, they really push the law part rather than the working in the Persian lounge. You know what? My mom and dad, they're quite different. My mom, she would say, oh, she's a law graduate, actually. This is just a temporary job. She's a law graduate. But my dad, he's just so like, chilled he's so relaxed he's like oh it's okay whatever makes you happy my dad has changed a lot i think since obviously being in england wow that's that's very comforting to have a an understanding uh parent like that you know i i do have to note that um Many of the guests we have on this program are folks who uh, came from Iran in recent years, and they're usually very fluent in Farsi and just getting yeah. fully comfortable in English. You, uh, <laughs> like me, are someone who grew up in the diaspora who is just getting comfortable with her Farsi. In fact, I think your Farsi might actually be more dodgy than mine, which is quite an accomplishment. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I've heard your parents didn't actually encourage you to speak Farsi when you were growing up. Uh, yeah you know um when i came here at like six years old 
in Stoke, where I used to live, there wasn't many Iranian people. The Iranian community was very, very small. Hmm. My friends were all British. My mom used to speak to me in, like, uh, in English at home. And my dad was at work most, most of the time, so I didn't actually speak to him a lot. That's why... I forgot Farsi and I forgot how to read Farsi and everything. But hang on a second. You were in Iran until you were six or seven years old. Was that not enough of a training ground for you to speak fluent Farsi? You know what? I'm going to be completely honest. I feel like I was like drunk throughout my whole childhood. Like, (laughs) like, like, I don't know how to say this. This is just an an example I'm using. I'm not saying I was actually drunk. Right, right. My parents took good care of me when I was a child. You know, when you, I can't remember much at all from back then, at all, honestly. I can't, the only thing I can remember from my childhood is probably like, (laughs) and my mum probably taking me to my cello lessons in, you know, from Kalash to Tehran. And, a fast food by um, our place. I can't. I can't remember much. Even Iranians that actually have come here for like four or five years. I I've seen myself that you know sometimes they forget some of the right. Iranian words and everything. Right. Right. So right. imagine someone coming here from a very young age. By the way, you mentioned taking cello lessons. I didn't mention this in the introduction, and you kind of tend to downplay this, but you're actually a, a great musician too. You play the piano. Thank and, you. And, and there's a video i can't remember on what one of your platforms that i saw of you singing and i think you're kind of joking around or something but you've got a great voice i mean that's thank you so much what what happened to music is that something you wanted to pursue and then stopped or something you know what the thing is music has always been what i absolutely love learned it from my dad there's like videos of me that i can't remember doing but there's videos of me you know of my dad playing the sitar and me uh singing what was it called more sure that that song yeah, yeah i was i was singing that with with my childlike voice and everything and i think from a young age i've really been into music and then you know my mom she took me to loads of cello lessons and then because i was forced into cello you know you're a child you always want to go against what your parents say right. i kind of put cello aside and wanted to do piano so I went to piano lessons instead, and I think piano must be one of my favorite instruments. I like how your version of being rebellious was to play the piano. I, I thought you were going to be like, <laughs> so I was like, screw you, parents. I'm going to be a drummer. You know, I'm going to play the electric. It's like, so then I decided to take classical piano to be a rebel. You know, <laughs> Honestly, I mean, this is the only rebellious thing you can do for with Persian parents. You can't do any more than that. You can't, can't step over the line. Let's be honest. Do you remember any of Morga Sahar? I just know Morga Sahar, Taja Sarkon, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I just know Morga Sahar. That's it. That's the only bit I can remember. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> yeah. So what was the what was the precipitant um, more recently then in your twenties to reconnect with Farsi and Persian culture? Um, the thing is. My dad, he basically all of us really got into, you know, uh, finding some Persian friends. And we started like entering the Iranian community whilst, well, I say we, but I was at uni when, you know, my parents actually did this. Obviously, when I come back from uni, 
everything's changed suddenly there's loads of people in our house met with me partying dancing all the time <laughs> and i'm just this like sit like you know the singular and i was like this you know this girl that's just come back from university she knows nothing and she can't connect with anyone and everything and i was like you know that they're, they're like saying these jokes between them and inside jokes and like you know oh remember when we said this oh can you remember this show and i used to just be in the conversations like i don't understand any of this and then obviously you know i got in a relationship with someone who's also iranian as well so that's when i just decided i was like i have no idea of this persian culture i don't know anything about the persian culture either and you know i want to reconnect with my roots i want to hang on a second when you when you say you know nothing about persian culture meaning like when you grew up you guys ate Persian food at home. Oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So you know those things. I mean, you know your family stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's you're, yeah. T- you're talking about the history of Persian culture. You're talking about the language. Yeah. All of it. So, so this is funny. You you start making a lot of um, observations about Iranians uh, as you start to learn about uh, be- becoming uh, as you become more uh, dive into your own Persian heritage. Something that I can relate to. Um, and these observations range from, you know, funny to uh, anno- <laughs> things you're annoyed about, things you find weird, things we find weird, those of us who grew up in the in the diaspora. Uh, you tend to exactly. chronicle some of these on your Instagram page. So let me uh, ask you about a couple of them. For example, what did you learn by being a waitress in an Iranian restaurant? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I've learned so much. I thought, you know, I learned about the Iranian community by the time I started working here. I didn't know what was coming for me, honestly. It was just the whole, like, this, how can I say this? Chaotic, honestly. <laughs> and I loved it so much. I loved this, cha- like... Why, this, why is it chaotic? What do you mean by chaotic? You know, how can I say this? Very loud. Everyone's staying, <laughs> laughing, you know, having fun and everything. Even they've come for some gourmet sabsies. Suddenly, they're drinking, like, you know, whiskey, at the end of there and then they're coming to the bar and they're like oh can i just have one more whiskey and you can see that they're like warmed up and everything <laughs> and then i love this but then there are a lot of negative things that i've seen that has really really annoyed me like some of them they can look quite down upon you when they see you know a persian girl basically an iranian girl serving them you can feel that they're, they're looking down upon you and they're like oh, look at this like look at this girl what is she like look at this waitress like i don't know go wash the toilet or something did you know what i mean you can feel that Each other in shit or something like that in, uh, exactly uh, yeah this is and her job no one She's understands a- that this is normal like in england we have a lot of waitresses and you know people progress being in restaurants as well it's not a bad job it shouldn't be looked down upon but at the same time i learned that also as soon as they find out that you grew up in england not they i shouldn't say they some Mm -hmm. some people Mm because most of our iranian customers are absolutely so lovely but then at the same time you know some of them as soon as they find out you grew up in england you've got a law degree but you're working in a restaurant and you're serving them they do everything to make your job very hard which is quite sad. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense to me. When they find out that you grew up in England and you have a law degree, they do everything they can to make your life hard? Why is that? I don't know what it is, but 
it's it's like they, they see me i've grew up in england i can't speak farsi that well mm. they can see this and you know i'm i've never had experience working in a restaurant before and you know i bring them something and on purpose sometimes they're like i don't want this it's got something on this can i please speak to the manager or i didn't like the service and i, I didn't like that and it can you know it can it can make your job really really hard as someone who can't speak much farsi or stand up for herself you know when farsi, I, if you know what i mean when i was younger and i and my farsi wasn't great uh i found that because the community here was smaller um it was always considered cute you know oh he's trying to speak farsi uh and only more recently, and there's been this huge influx of Iranian uh, immigrants, especially to Toronto, to Canada, in the last few years. But more recently, when I go into like, especially parts of town where there's a, um, you know, Persian, it's like a Persian area. We've got, you know, this Tehranto that sometimes people call it. Um, and and I speak and my Farsi isn't great and I revert to English or something. I get kind of weird looks like, huh. What, you know, how dare you? Why are you not speaking Farsi better? Which I never used to get before. It's 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 an interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if that's the kind of thing you get at the restaurant. Like, uh, why is this Iranian server not speaking Farsi perfectly? Uh, but that's the kind of thing I've felt sometimes. Yeah, you know what? I completely agree. Because sometimes, um, if I'm nervous or you know I'm speaking Farsi and I quickly switch back to English. Some of them actually get upset. Um, like they're like they're like, can you just either speak English or can you just speak Farsi? <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, well, I can speak English and I speak English, and you know, they start speaking Farsi, so I have to reply to them in Farsi, and it just gets so muddled up. But they can get, and I can remember that I served a customer once, and uh, her friend was British, and he was asking me, um, you know, are you Persian? And I was like, yeah, and then. He started asking me things saying, oh, um, you know, have you grew up here? Um, and I was telling him about everything. And I was like, yeah, sorry, my Iranian isn't very well. She was so fast. This is this is I found out. This is something that I need to really control because, you know, a lot of Iranians are like, it's not Iranian. Farsi, Farsi. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sorry, my Farsi isn't really good. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And it's just like um, she quickly pointed that out. And from then on, that's when, you know, um, I kind of realized that I need to be careful switching back so much because it can actually get on Iranian people's nerves. That's what I've understood. You know, I should say I was sort of being sassy at the beginning of the interview, but your, your Farsi is actually very good. I, I've seen you speaking Farsi on Instagram, and it's excellent. I mean, it's not maybe it's not perfect, but uh, and you search for a word once in a while. But um, I, I don't. I, we're doing you a disservice here. Your Farsi's a, are 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 Iranians good tippers, or is there a difference between the tips you would get from uh, from a Persian person uh, at your restaurant and a Khadiji? I was going to say, but like a a Londoner, a British person. Uh Iranians don't tip much, honestly, at all. I don't know, maybe it was maybe because it's in the pandemic and everyone's just having quite a hard time. But what I realized is they don't actually tip much. Um, and if they do, it's like three or two pounds. Obviously, whatever tip we used to get is we shared it, obviously. Um, but now that this lounge is open, so um, I'm supervising this lounge and... Um, 
whatever tip we get here as well we have to share it but i have a feeling when you know customers come back pandemic is over tips will go back up i can't judge <laughs> on if they're good tippers or not because it was in the middle of the pandemic so people financially weren't doing really well anyway you said that you one of the ways you started learning farsi well and, and learning about persian culture was by dating a an iranian guy i guess what what um what surprised you uh, when you started dating an Iranian guy or what did you learn from that? Everything. So <laughs> he was like my introduction to the Iranian community. And, you know, I realized um, he was a lot more protective than any guy I've ever dated. He was, you know, I would say he was possessive, but he was just, um, how can I say this? He was, he was not jealous either, but, you know, he'd call me at like 5 p.m. after I'm coming back. He's like, why FaceTime me? I want to see where you are. And I've never had that in my <laughs> life. I was like, wait, is this a thing? Now I know it's a thing. But back then I was like, is this a thing? Like just FaceTiming each other, like showing each other like this. Like once I went bowling with my friend. Needing to know where just, you are constantly. Not and that's, exactly. And that was something that you wouldn't experience with a non-Iranian before. No, I've never experienced that with, with a non-Iranian boy. I liked it though. I mean, it was nice feeling someone it cares about you so much or wants you so much that they need to know where you are at all times. And I don't blame him because he was so far away from me. So obviously I needed to understand. I need to have like a bit of understanding of his behaviors, but- Wait, where was he? He, he lived in Iran. <laughs> you dated a guy who lived in Iran? Yeah. How did you see each other? Uh, we went to Turkey all the time. Wow. So you met, I guess you met online then? Yeah, it was on Instagram. Never ever thought I would meet someone from Instagram. Usually I meet people in like real life. But he just like, he, he just once messaged me in something and we just instantly clicked, like instantly clicked. And it didn't occur to you that this might be a... <laughs> A bad idea, I don't know. Well, not a bad idea, but that it might not be, it might be challenging to date someone living in London who lives in, in Cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was. Yes. Obviously, obviously it is, because, you know, you don't know what they're doing, what they're getting up to, and the way he was so sensitive with me, it made me sensitive with him, but I had a lot of trust in him at first. I don't know why, he just, he made me feel very warm and fuzzy inside, and he made me feel so protected and like, he he made me feel like one day we would be with each other forever in the future and we talked about the future a lot so it made me think it's okay to just go through these hard days and just one day you can be with him and you know you can start a life together it must have been interesting for your parents who've seen you grow up as this very english girl coming back from uni as you say and going what's up with these memunis how do i fit in here um to be then dating a guy who lives in iran <laughs> uh, how did they my, react to that my dad let me tell you my dad he was not happy oh he wasn't happy. he was so angry i've never seen him so angry in his life why angry honestly why was he so angry he was like kim there's billions of guys like if you want an iranian guy as well there's billions of guys <laughs> there's a guy in brixton in why, why, yeah, why go to, right, right why have you picked a guy from iran and i'm like what's wrong with that he's good looking he's funny he makes me laugh you know we really get along we match it's so good 
and I actually remember I didn't tell him that I'm going to see him until the day of my flight to Turkey to go see him for the first time. That's why he was fuming. He was literally fuming. He right. was not doing you that. You were withholding, <laughs> withholding information from your dad. Right. right. Yeah, I was like, Dad, but you know what? Like, I'm old enough. What happened with the Persian guy? What what happens usually with Persian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there, is there something that normally happens with? What, he, he got too overprotective and that was too much for you and you said, I'm out of here. Is that what happened? Oh, no, no, no. Um, you know what? I, I always liked how protective he was. Okay. Even though it was weird for me, even though I had to get used to it, I liked it because I loved him. Hmm. Instagram channel. First of all, for him, and I was being, I'm a proud Iranian. So, you know, it was just time to just move perception that you know and people you, you, have iranians know actually you, not, not people but iranians have of um, iranians it upsets me because i'm like you know what iranians make it aren't dangerous like this. for you to go to you iran. may have a few why, why negative ones i've had a few negative ones but that doesn't mean that all iranians are i could say i wasn't really don't like each other iranians love each other but again they're quite chaotic but i just wanted to like just maybe bring a bit of like the English culture in the Iranian culture, if you know what I mean. I love my Iranian culture so much. It's taught me so many things. Dad, but dad, what, what, do you, what do you say? No, 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 door, door. Door, door. Door means uh, like flirting with car. They go... Aha, uh-huh, like, door, door. Uh, you, they take my your, cousin, she used to say that. We'll go door, door. We'll go bimiterekuni and all of that right. and everything. And <laughs> But obviously, I was really... I was still going to be alone there. My dad wasn't going to come with me because um, he's just... He hasn't got the time at the moment. I did. I wanted to go. But I just, I was too scared to be alone. And like, what if I like fell out with him and like, he like kicked me out or something. Like right. he wouldn't, I know, but all of these things will come up. Somehow going somehow going to Turkey alone felt safer, safer for you. I felt like it was safer right, to go to Turkey right. alone. I don't know why. Terrorists or, 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 you know, whatever stereotype. So um, in a way, I mean, one of the things I'm, glad to have someone like you out there and and folks who are doing the kind of things you're doing in social media is that you don't just show a different face to Iranians but you show a different face of Iranians to non-Iranians as well yeah definitely you know what I wish I could do it in a way where English people would understand because obviously most all my captions and everything I put my videos and everything is in Farsi so um, it's a bit hard to teach my Iranian culture to not teach but show my Iranian culture to English people and then show the English culture to Iranian people so but uh, who who is who is your sorry to cut you off who is your audience Kimia who can have have you figured out who those all of those followers where are they are they majority in Iran yeah literally most of them live in Iran We've got some in United Kingdom, some in United States, but literally, I was ch- I was checking my um, Instagram the other day just to like double, just to see like who my followers are. Yeah. And the blue bar is literally the biggest one. It's, it says Iran. Yes. And it's like it's 
I had such a proud moment. I was like, yes. It, it must be wild for you at the same. I, I can tell you that you know Iran is the third biggest uh, uh, country in terms of countries. The audience for Rook, uh, Iran is number three, and every day I, I'm shocked by that because I think. How am I? How, how am I involved in something that Iranians in Iran are interested in? It's it's so lovely and gratifying. It must be shocking to you in some way, especially as someone who grew up so English, that you've got this mass audience in Iran identifying with you. I know. You know what? It's very overwhelming. You have to be careful sometimes uh, of what you say and how you basically talk about some some of the situations and everything because I'm still learning what's right and wrong in the Iranian culture. Some things that, you know, maybe in Britain we call banter, in Iran, it's called being rude, basically. What's an example of that? What, what have you learned you have to be careful about? You know, our dark humor. Uh-huh. You, Iranians have their own dark humor, and then British people have their own dark humor. Yeah. And I have my, I have the, obviously the British dark humor. So sometimes, you know, they don't get it. Like, for example, the two girls I live with, they're my friends. It took them, you know, quite a bit of time to understand when I'm joking or when I'm just having a banter or something. Now, when I just say something, they laugh like so much. Really? But back then, they used to just look at me really confused sometimes or be like, what? Is she actually doing this? Or what? <laughs> Does she really want to do that? Right. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I try really hard to control again but you're very so, you're very free you don't seem self-conscious i mean you do sometimes you'll post something that is literally just a silly video of you headbanging to some song or something like doing <laughs> doing some funny dance and and which seems very free like you're not calculating in terms of what am i going to post and what are people going to think and and i think that's i mean that's part of the charm of what you do but clearly you don't seem phased by the fact that your audience has grown as big as it has you know what it's i think the most important thing is to always be yourself that's what i wanted to be that's what i always have been and um i've always been me i've always been myself and i will never ever change my values change my morals or change who i am to please someone if my morals are wrong yes or if my values are wrong okay but I I just don't I I feel like if people have followed me for my personality, that's the, what they probably want to see. I would never, you know, start calculating what I want to do or start planning my things or planning what I want to say on my story and everything. You know, because that that's not going to be me. I'm just going to see what's on my mind. Who's this is this is all you get. This is the raw. So be, be be honest here though. Be rook. Are you saying that you don't know? You don't have a sense at this point of what you're, what's going to get you 50,000 clicks and what isn't and, and that you don't sort of work that a little bit? No. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. I just make videos, put, on, put it on my story, and I just say what, like, you know, what I'm thinking. For example, um, Iranian people have a quite a hard time pronouncing the th- sound, the TH sound. I'm going to make a video about this. I think, you know, they're finding useful. But for my comedy videos, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I've got a few videos on there where all the comments that you can see is 
Kim, we don't get this. What is this about? <laughs> and what, and what, really, what about when that happens? I mean, do you do you, I mean do you go back and sort of say, oh, this one didn't do as well. The numbers are low. Do you care about that at all? Or you? I, I love that you're that none of this means anything to you. You're just growing yeah. this huge base and doing it, doing what? Because almost everyone who's in your position of quote unquote Instagram influencer or whatever they're called now uh, is is quite calculating about this in some way or another. You know. No, honestly, I know. I don't think about it at all. Like, for example, I've just been gone for two weeks and I, my followers, I didn't lose any followers, but I came back after two weeks acting like nothing's happened. <laughs> I just posted a video and then, because um, I took a few videos, I just posted one and I lost like 300 followers. I was like, okay, well, they, you know, it happens. You're going to lose followers. They're going to be like, where's Kimmy? Oh, she's here. Actually, I don't like this video. You've gone, you've gone for a while, so right, right. unfollow. And it's it's because I think, you know what? Some people that start, they grow their social media, they have a plan. Yes. I never planned for my social media to blow up like right, this. Right. I was just doing something I loved. I wanted to help the Iranian community, you know, in England and in Iran too. So I just, I never ever thought that one TikTok or one English video, any of that would blow up. I was just, I was kind of just. And and do you ever think about, I mean, I know before the pandemic with your law background, you were working at an immigration office or you were working around legal issues for immigrants, something like that? Yeah, so I actually moved to London um, to work in an immigration office, okay. and I was training to become an immigration officer. Actually, an immigration advisor, level one. So, 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 okay. so, if that's that kind of career might be ahead of you, do you ever think, oh, this video could come back to haunt me of me doing this um, <laughs> crazy dance or something, or you know, you don't think about stuff like that? No, not really. I wouldn't see why it would you know, it w I would be embarrassed of it because I feel like my career in law or whatever it may be in the future, it may not even be law, whatever it may be in the future, um, it will always stay disconnected with something that I started to help the Iranian community. I would never involve those two things together, you know, and even I talked about my boss once on my story and my boss came and he was like, he was like don't talk about me on your story i think he was like i don't want people to think i'm like this and i'm like that and that's what i found out i was like you know what you need to keep these two completely separate right, right, right. separation but, of church and state um, yeah yeah but it, that would never hold me i'm proud of you know where i am with my social media when you say people come to you for the personality i have to say i mean you're very funny on camera you're like a you're like a comedic actor or like a, a cast member from <laughs> SNL or something. I mean, you're, have you always been this way? Were you, were you known as the funny girl? I was known as like the quiet girl at first when I was very, very young. I guess over the years I gained a lot of confidence. I wouldn't say it from the start I've been like this. I just gained a lot of confidence and just accept I don't accept myself fully. Everyone has their little things about themselves that they don't like but i guess i'm happy with myself like 98 percent the two percent i've still got it's like called self-care self-love like i've, I've accepted who i am 98 percent is pretty good man i i, <laughs> I would kill for 98 <laughs> percent. that's that's good how do you decide what is going to be a teaching moment 
on okemia and what is going to be just silliness to make people laugh oh god i feel like i should give you like a very intellectual answer right now but i don't know <laughs> i you, don't have any you know it's, it's what you're feeling that decide. day it's it's you just whatever comes exactly exactly what whatever i'm feeling on that day i'm like you know obviously i always do this a day before a day before i just sit on my notes and i'm like okay so let's go on tiktok i've got these sounds saved i've favorited these sounds so on this sound it would really be cool if i made this oh that'd be really funny i plan these little things but then the next day i record a few things and then i'm like actually you know what since i've got my makeup on and i'm not going to put makeup on for the like the next week or so <laughs> let's let's make let's make like an english video and you know help the iranian community or something teach them something that British. is that is some planning i mean that it's not entirely spontaneous you make notes the day before you have a sense of where you're going to take things i mean even some of your silly funny stuff is clearly something you've thought about because you have to shoot it a certain way you have to edit it i mean it's a it's a comedy routine in a way yeah it's when i say planning i plan that you know i have to i can't just go on my phone and just find a few sounds and everything and be like oh let's just dance to this and let's hope it gets views because like i said like i just i don't even think about the views at all like i just post what i think is funny like i see it on tiktok and i'm like oh i think this is really funny <laughs> but i posted and my iranian followers are like we don't get this at all do you know what i mean but <laughs> do they say that know, sometimes I, do they say i don't understand what you're doing you know, what is this? some of them do it for likes you know to like start a little trend or something but some of them genuinely like some of the comments say kimia john and i'm just like you don't get this but then i think about it to myself i'm like actually they wouldn't get it this is why you know these some of these are my spontaneous videos that i just get or it's the videos that i like and i record it but then my planning doesn't go as far as saying right. is this right for the iranian community are they going to get it right, right. so this is what i mean when i say i don't plan everything properly i do plan it's things, very subtle not. in some cases like it's really subtle funny humor uh uh you know just it's like you with a coffee cup and then you you move your head a little bit and i mean i, I find it very funny but i can totally see somebody going what what is this what am i looking at <laughs> and yet you've been very successful and i love that it's unplanned i hope that i i hope that you know if you were a well you are a musician but if you were a if if this was a we were talking about you being a band i would just be like please don't end up with some high-powered manager and agent who are telling you you have to care more about what you post because it's so natural right now and it's so funny what you're Thank doing you. You know? um it, it has been such a, a pleasure to talk to you i i'm i'm a fan of what you do and, and to, to to see it growing is uh great i want to figure out a way to have you regularly come visit us on rook I, I like to ask this question sometimes when somebody is at the beginning of doing things and, and, and say, okay, you know, so five years from now, if I were to interview Kimia Yousefi, what would you hope that um, you'll be doing at that point? Um, you know what? I hope I have visited Iran, firstly, many times. But by then, I was actually hoping to uh, have my own courses in teaching British English uh, to um, Iranians. I would love to do that. Obviously, um, don't know how to first. I'm only, I know 24 isn't young, but 
I'm still learning as life goes on. I don't know how to even like start a business or anything, but I think it would be lovely for me to be able to just help people and just make up some courses like like in British English, teaching that to Iranians in England and making make it accessible to people in Iran as well. But also um, have my page go up a lot more than what it is now and maybe stop, maybe, I don't know, Ashley, maybe get back into my music, hoping I would get somewhere with my music. Um, well, you were in a band actually, weren't you? I was, I was. So that's, yeah, I think, I think you would really know what I mean. I do. When, you know, you connect with the music and the instrument and everything. I do. I do. And I, I, if I were you, I would, uh, I think you're talented as a musician and, and a singer. And I think you should also pursue that for sure. For sure. Why not? First of all, you don't have to have any answers. You're 24, do whatever you want and, and, and enjoy your, <laughs> enjoy your life. But, but I think that your answer was really instructive and really interesting that the fact that the first thing you said was, I want to make, go back to Iran. It's, I want to see Iran. I think that's, um, um, I think that'll be really, actually, I'd love to talk to you, uh, when you come back from Iran, you know, uh, especially since you've had this kind of project, uh, of, of learning the adventures of Kimia, learning about, uh, of your own Persian-ness. It would be so interesting yeah. to, to see what it's like when you actually go there. Sometimes, you know, you know even now for these past two weeks, I don't know what's been wrong with me. I've been like looking at like tickets to go to Iran and just, I'm like lying in bed and I'm like, oh, I want to be in my country. Wow. I want to go and see my family. I want to go see my grandparents. I want to go see the, what's it called? The mansion that Shah used to live in. I want to go see the museums. I want to go see the beautiful art and the beautiful buildings that everyone talks about. I want to go see Isfahan. I want to go Shiraz. I want to go everywhere. Like it's so many, you know, you, you just called Iran my country. And earlier in the interview, you talked about Britain, England being your country. Um, it's confusing, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> you know what? Actually, yeah, it is. I think England is my home, and it will always be my home, and Iran will always be my country, hmm. and it will always be who I am inside I, I feel like i'm two people actually i'm english <laughs> and persian do you know a, what i mean a lot of I us need to feel mix that things way. Two together do something about it a, a lot of us feel that way and 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 sometimes in life you add more layers to that so i feel like i'm at least three people uh british <laughs> canadian iranian you know uh, and uh and then you know it just keeps going um We'll see where it all goes for you, and we'll we'll continue the conversation again. I thank you for this. Uh, have you a so great much. evening in uh, England, and uh, I'll look forward to catching up uh, again. And thank you for uh, all that you do for advancing our community in your way. And uh, I think you're 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 off to some great stuff on your Instagram page. And I'm so glad that we got to chat. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really lovely talking to you. Thank you for having me on here. See you soon. See you. Bye. Bye. Kimia Yousafi is a law graduate who has turned to the internet to create funny videos and commentary about Persian culture, language, and stereotypes. Kimia joined me from London, England today.
right, the Rook team microphones back on. Groovy Shia, Captain Reza, the fabulous Keon. How about that Kimia? I know, right? She's just so perky. I like her. I saw, I watched a couple of her videos as you guys were doing the interview. I got curious. I didn't know her before this uh-huh. interview. So you She's you weren't so listening funny. to the interview. You were watching. <laughs> no, I was listening to the interview as well. Uh-huh. I can I multitask. Gian. Yes, all right. But no, she's really, really funny. She is I funny. Like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She's such a... Uh, Guru Shai, did you enjoy that? You were smiling yes. through that interview? <laughs> yes. I mean, another law graduated who has talent. In <laughs> That's right. Like you. <laughs> like you. A law graduate yeah. who's putting it to good use. Yeah. yeah. And uh, do you have TikTok? Uh, I, I don't have TikTok. I go look at TikTok, but I don't uh, have it. I'm not familiar, but it's a new... I mean, new by, new by which you mean a couple of years old, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. T- or, I, I, or five years older. I, I feel pretty uh, honestly. I feel pretty old to well, go into TikTok and can connect. To <laughs> no, really. I, I feel I'm. Retarded. I don't think you need to go to TikTok. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But do you feel like you're missing something, Shaya? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not at all. Uh-huh. You, you just up. wanted the validation of knowing that your other friends don't, don't go on it as well. <laughs> you didn't want the rest of us to go, what, you're not on TikTok? <laughs> and the fabulous Keon. She's great. She's very cute. I, I, I've i seen a few of her videos in the past, and she's distinctly memorable. She has that British accent. Yeah. She makes those funny Iranian videos. And a lot of people might take her very lightly. Like, listen, oh, she's you know, a social media, Instagram person, like she's not really contributing to anything, but she is, in fact. I remember years ago when I was in, you know, junior high, high school, I was one of the only Iranian kids in the neighborhood in a predominantly white area. And one specific girl on one occasion was like, oh, so if you're Persian, do, are you like from Peru? You know, so someone like so someone like Kimia is really promoting our culture. So I have non-Iranian friends coming to me saying, oh, my God, you guys are hilarious. No, and in very in very light and funny ways, she's addressing some really profound issues, mm-hmm. especially that will speak to uh, and, and build that connectivity with people in Iran. Like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of young women follow her. A lot of people around the world follow her. But but many many fans of hers in Iran she's addressing issues exactly. uh, you know she's just doing it in a, in a comical way. kind of way and yeah. and uh, in as a character and I, I love it I love yeah. what she's doing and I hope that she uh, uh, continues to do it and and I, like I said before I think she's gonna be a, a star I, the, the best part of that interview to me was um, how clear it is that this is not prefabricated that she has no master plan mm-hmm. she's kind of like yeah, no, I don't really. I mean, she doesn't. We, we've had guests on who are doing well in social media and her are very, very aware of yeah. what they need to do yeah. to get their clicks and how they story things and all of that. Exactly. I mean, she is just doing things that she thinks are funny yeah. with her friends. And and uh, it seems like all kind of a surprise to her. I, I, I'm, I almost don't want this moment to end. I feel like, you know, five years from now, she'll have graphs and a team. <laughs> and an agent and you know and right now it's just like uh, it's the beginning it's really nice yeah Yeah. Uh, all right it is Thursday we're gonna get to Aravon in just a little bit joining us from Sweden but first it is Thursday and you know what that means she's a dear friend a diaspora blend a gym workout cat and a bicultural brat but lovable smart and funny and on a journey to discover what we actually discovered here we go Bachaha it's all Persian to us with Kian Nadimi Um, yeah. 
right. What do you have for us this week, Keon June? <laughs> well, ancient Persians were known to be extremely inventive with their surroundings, always looking for ways to improve their systems of life. Anything from the discovery of practical things like the refrigerator or the yachchal. Or even heels, high heels. That too. High heels. To even more practical, practical things. things. Practical, that's right. That's, that's the most <laughs> impractical thing. Well, the most practical I'd say is wine, but <laughs> that's just me. Fair enough. Making the best of any situation is something we've been doing for thousands of years. It's part of our DNA. And we see evidence of it even today with the long list of inventions that Persians have come up with. Right. Many of the guests have been on this show, Brooke. Yeah. We're talking about a civilization. The guests have been the inventions. <laughs> yeah, right. they have. They have come up with ah, inventions. they've come up with inventions. Thank you for correcting me <laughs> so sure wittingly. The podcast goes back to four thousand years <laughs> BC. So we're talking about a civilization of people that has, against all odds, survived over the course of years. True. So inevitably, a civilization that old is faced with countless enemies that has literally destructed, like mat, like so many things that were part of our culture, many True. of which include several books that held secrets of life mm. that we will never truly find out. But I digress. So what do we do to uncover the past and try to piece everything together? We... We dig. Google. No, oh, dig. dig. We pray. We dig. <laughs> <That too. laughs> we dig. And dig they did back in 1936 in a village near Baghdad, Iraq, when curious-looking jars were found, which were later discovered to be from the Parthian period of Persia. Roughly mm. around 250 jars. BC. Yes, uh -huh. jars. So within these jars was a vertical iron rod surrounded by a uh, copper cylinder. So the very large jars. Yes. Well, right. you know, large-ish, not like massive. Large enough to have iron rods. <laughs> How <laughs> yeah, big like of a, a rod are we talking? <laughs> How big of a jar? Like, like, you know, geez, not that like a massive jar. I don't know the exact measurements, guys, <laughs> but you know, like imagine a jug of water, let's say. Oh. Um, okay. So this iron and copper um, uh, cylinder thing was mounted on an asphalt stopper that uh, insulated them from one another. Mm. Fill the jars with an electrolyte like, say, vinegar, and voila! A voltage of 1.5 to oh. 2 volts of electricity Whoa. were produced. Mm. And thus, you have the first battery in ancient times, otherwise nicknamed no the Baghdad Battery. Oh. Were you guys aware of this? Well, no idea. But the fact that it's called the Baghdad Battery doesn't <laughs> bode well for it being Persian. Well, it was discovered near Baghdad, so uh, I guess that's why. But it so was are we calling those things Persian now? The things that well, it was part of the Persian Empire. Oh, oh was, that's right. Yes. I see. Okay, yes, that's, that's right, right, of course. Yes. It was a vast empire, yes, Gian. Yes, yes. It extended I, I amongst many continents. <laughs> right. Yes. I guess they could figure out when it was buried. Yes, mm. 250 yeah. BC, right. which was during, at that so time. it was buried six months before that, <laughs> it would be Iraqi. Oh, it was right. Persian, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the exact use of the ancient battery is unknown. That's when all those ancient books that were burned down to the ground would have come in handy. But however, it's believed to have been used to electroplate gold onto silver objects. Mm. Persians do love their gold, you know. Mm. Wait but a second. So the battery was mm. used. Yes. To electroplate, yes. whatever that means, <laughs> gold <laughs> like to silver. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the, that amount of power gave them the, the ability to do this. But beyond that, we uh, don't really know too, too much. Right. I mean, like they've discovered these jars. And Did we invent the electroplate? <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know. I'll I don't get know into it. <laughs> yeah, basically it? put gold onto silver. Okay. Yeah, yes, look it up, Shai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But regardless of its uses, this was a profound discovery for its time. Think about this 
this for a second. This was the beginning stages of developing electricity back in 250 BC. Hmm predating Alessandro Volta. His first battery was discovered in 1800. Mm. So it's predating his discovery by thousands of years. I like this part where there's somebody who's claimed <laughs> to have discovered something and we're like, buddy, <laughs> 2,000 years before that, we discovered. <laughs> he did it. Jafar well, who was from the... <laughs> see, this is the problem. A lot of our books were burnt to the ground and a That's lot of right. these like secrets of the if past If only the books hidden. hadn't been burned to the ground. Right. People who would knows? know we discovered all this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're talking about something that's used in everyday life. We just have to find the jars. The the jars that are buried buried in various... (laughs) (laughs) Just start digging and you might find something. Yeah. (laughs) So this this is something that's used in everyday life from driving a car to using your phone to watching TV. So this discovery is unfathomably important. You get Mm -hmm. this, Reza? That's right. And who really knows what else was invented around that time of the Baghdad battery? Most of the secrets of the past remain a mystery, including this one. So what do we do? We dig on, my friends. We dig on Mm. to tell a story from another time, another world, another realm. It's all Persian to us. The Baghdad battery. (laughs) (laughs) Can I I say a proverb related to dig by digging Yerutsia? Means all the. Dig me, Conan, dig me, Conan, and then <laughs> find a better job. Now, dig be dig oh. me, Gerutia is actually, we have the exact very same saying in mm-hmm. English. Um, uh, the pot calls the kettle black. I don't get it though. What are you <laughs> trying to what? say? You, you've never heard this saying? No. Pot calls the kettle have black. Have you, Gia? Yes, that's okay. a very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Keon, which <laughs> which language mean? are you comfortable in? I don't in? know uh, anymore. Oh, the come pot on. calls the kettle black is like if you say, Hey, Gian, your Persian sucks. I would say, <laughs> oh, that's the pot calling the kettle black because your Persian sucks. Oh. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so how is this related to what no, I He just it. said it in Farsi. Oh, he said, it, be dig be He's just playing on the word dig. <laughs> dig, which, yeah. okay. All right, well, the, so the point is that uh, yeah, some, the jars were f- <laughs> <Yes>. some jars were <laughs> found. I don't know how we got to this. I'm just stuck <laughs> on the jars. Some yeah. jars that mm-hmm. had huge metal iron rods in they them. They weren't huge, but, you oh. know, they were significant. Big enough to electroplate <laughs> yes, the exactly. gold to silver. <laughs> yeah. Whatever electroplate. Yeah, whatever that was. I mean, we're just supposed to believe all this stuff. Well, and then we like invented <laughs> the ba- battery. Not to take anything away from the segment. The, this is important to me, mm, of course. It did. Refrigerator, wine, right. battery, I'll yeah. claim it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it held electricity within a well, mind the you, jar, very limited amount, 1.5 to the 2 The jar buried in bad Yeah, yeah exactly. But who knows how, like, who knows what else is related to this? Like, who knows if they tied them all together, what else they would have used it for? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm. And maybe we won't ever know, but <laughs> we keep on digging, as I'm, I said. I'm waiting for the, for, the, for the episode where you'd be like, well, you know, guys you know who invented television <laughs> wow. oh for there sure for yeah. sure it's gonna come up uh, there was the, uh, under Dwight McKeon yeah, yeah, yeah. and what did they do they went to Berlin where they began to dig <laughs> and what did they find they found a DVD player <laughs> and that's all Persian to us but Keon it was Berlin what no because the Persians were there that's part of Persia but, but the DVD a DVD player it was in a jar they had jars but his but, name was okay. Hans Keon can we but no it was Hassan guys, back this in was the beginning stage of stages of electricity right, do you understand right. this yes yes so, the battery so we 
had, invented the battery. So had we have not faced countless wars, who would, who who knows? would electroplate the gold into <laughs> yeah, silver? Exactly. Whatever electroplating <laughs> means. I don't even know what it means. It would have progressed to a larger amount of electricity. Sorry, Keon, you are doing a public service <laughs> by telling us what, uh, explaining please help me. What, the ba- what we've invented. <laughs> yes. and this one sounds, you know, it's, I mean, no, this is important. Yes, it is. In 1936 in Baghdad, they found some jars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dating back to 250 that's BC. That's right. That's yes. right. And we discovered, and we're the ones, not Volta, that <laughs> discovered, not this pretender, Volta. <laughs> <laughs> not to take away from his discovery. I mean, let's, let's be real. It was pretty. In 1971 in Sao Paulo, they started to dig and they found a cell phone. But, but Keon, that's in Brazil. Yes, but the Persians had been there and in a jar they found a small Nokia cell phone small Nokia. that was used by the Persians when they were riding the horses against the Greeks. Keon, what happened to your accent? I don't <laughs> This is the way I talk when I'm explaining things. I start to sound like an old British man. I still sound like Michael Caine. <laughs> well, it, I, I believe it's you. time for me to leave and never right. come back now. All right. It's all Persian. <laughs> Thank you very much, Keon June, Captain Reza, Groovy Shia. Uh, poor Aravon's been waiting. Let's go to Stockholm, Sweden in just a moment. Thank you for another edition of It's All Persian to Us. Well, she is a Swedish-Iranian singer and woman's advocate who came to fame around the world amongst Iranians when she appeared on the Gugush Music Academy TV program in 2010 and brought down the house. Take a listen to this. There you go, a little taste of my next guest performing the song Mahtab live on Gugush Music Academy in 2010 and in front of about 32 million viewers by the way her name is Arkavon and following her appearances on that popular program she heard from Persians around the world and became deeply involved in the plight of women and in particular women in Iran and their lack of rights and freedom of expression Arkavon is a creative artist who has been using her platform to shed light on the rights of women in in Iran and around the world over the last decade she was the UN ambassador for women in Sweden from 2014 14 to 2019. And Agavon is the author of the book Zan, which was published in Sweden in 2014. The book is about nine women in Iran who, against all odds, achieved their dreams. Agavon has also been working on a documentary about the characters of her book for the past 10 years. She was born in Tehran in 1982. At the age of three, her family fled Iran because of the activism of her father. They immigrated to Sweden, where Agavon grew up. In recent years, Agavon's latest project, Art 
Freedom, a space for female artists to intersect and empower, was banned in Iran in 2018, and she had to flee the country again after 33 years having passed from her first exile. Right now, Aravan joins me from Stockholm, Sweden today. Hello. Hi. Norus Pirus, can we still say that or is it too late now? I think we can say it's all <laughs> Yes. How how are you doing by the way? I know you went to Norway to do Artem and then you got corona. Are you okay? Uh, no, I moved to Norway last year and uh, a couple of months ago I was in Pakistan and then I got corona oh, in okay. Pakistan. Yeah. And and that must have been scary. I, 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 what what happened? Like everybody told me not to go to Pakistan before Corona. And then when Corona came, they told me again not to go. So I took a, like a big risk of everything. So like everybody knows it's going to happen. So I got sick, but I, I guess I'm uh, the lucky one because, uh, you know, I could still breathe. And uh, the thing that was most uh, like I never felt so lonely in my life before because I was isolated 14 days in a room kind of without windows and yeah. kind of without food. <laughs> so it was like a prison, a prison. But uh, I was thinking every day how, how lucky I am that I have so much work to do all the time. Uh, so, you know, I was keeping myself busy. I was so, thinking, yeah. I mean, getting COVID is scary enough, but to, to get it when you're away from any friends and family in a completely different country, it, it, it must have been daunting. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> oh, I'm glad, I'm glad. I, I, I want to circle a back. Of meditation while I was there and like a lot of thinking, you know. Right, right. It gave you some yeah. space. I, I, I want to get back to Artem and what you're doing these days and, and in fact, your whole story. But um, let me start with this. You know, the first thing that occurs to me, Agavon, is that we we being people in the in the diaspora people who have immigrated in our lives we go in different directions when we leave the the country of our heritage um everyone's different you left iran when you were three it it would make sense it could make sense if you were entirely scandinavian now you're just a swedish girl but you are clearly still iranian enough to have made iran one of your focuses throughout your life throughout your creative work and to perform in the gugush academy in 2010 tell me about how you grew up in sweden but remained so iranian uh you know, uh, I would like to start with last year I decided uh, I don't want to say anymore that I'm Iranian or Swedish. I want to call myself a global citizen. It's also because I never feel like I have home anywhere because I move around all the time. I lived in nine countries. And when I decided to go to Norway without knowing anyone, and now after a year almost know the whole city, I was like, I need to not be focused where I am from hmm. because I uh, never got the support that I needed in Sweden and never got the support I needed in Iran. So where is my home? My home is in my projects. So yeah, my upgrowing was really, really normal. Even though we had to flee the country, I was five when I knew what uh, freedom of expression was. For a five-year-old, it's like, uh, yeah, it's a huge um, 
burden maybe i don't know but i knew it was because of my dad's art and what he was doing but and we were welcome into sweden it's not like now it was like five uh, immigrants family in the city we were growing up so everybody was so curious who are we they want to learn our language our food where we so you know this was not normal up growing even though you know of course i got bullied in this but that was because of different reasons <laughs> it, it wasn't because of being an immigrant you never had it had trouble try, fitting in say no we grew up in a very small city uh you know like i said everybody was so curious and treated us so well and we learned the language really fast but you know to know to know that we had to flee because of my dad's art has always been with me. So so tell me exactly what happened. I don't actually know the full story. I mean, I know that something about your dad and activism. Why did your family have to flee Iran? Well, you know, after 79, after the revolution, everything got restricted. And my dad was a poet. He was an artist. He was a writer. He was like saying out loud what he was thinking. So to give us a better and more f free life, we decided to flee because, yeah, we had to. So activism runs in your blood, I suppose. Yeah, activism and being a voice. Hmm. I, I can't let this go. This It's too provocative. It's too interesting, this idea that you just decided that you prefer to be a global citizen uh, or to call yourself that. You know, so many of us struggle. We've, we've talked about this a lot on this show since one of the subtexts of our program is identity. We've talked about how so many of us struggle with where we actually fit in. I mean, I've joked about calling myself a nowhereian in the past because I don't really know. You know, I grew up in England uh, and then I came to Canada, but my family's Iranian, and uh, you know, I grew up in very in a very Christian. I went to school reading the Lord's Prayer, but my family was sort of Muslim, and I was in a Jewish community. <laughs> you know, it gets very confusing. Um, but you also have to kind of know where you come from to know where you're going. So when you say I'm sort of renouncing calling myself anything from being Iranian or Swedish to just global citizen, what does it mean in terms of recognizing where you come from? I come from Iran and uh, I always say, you know, we all we always have to know where we come from. But it's a lot of people like us, right? We there are so many people that fled the country. We know so many stories. We that was why I started to work with these stories because I had I knew too much not to do anything. But after a while, when the, we're probably going to talk about it, but you know when my project got banned in Iran, when I got banned in Iran, and I felt like I was so lonely in this mission to be this voice for the women. All the projects, it was like big projects you know but i was so lonely and then i decided i want to make my even my <laughs> projects more global i want to tell women's story and everywhere i go even though i say i don't have a home uh everywhere i go like doors open up because i dare there to say i'm from here now <laughs> and people think it's kind of brave and cool that i dare to go you know to these countries and like Hey, what's up? I'm going to take over this place. <laughs> when you say I didn't get the support from Iran and I, Iranians, I didn't get it from in Sweden. 
Um, I mean, we will get into, as you say, the story of what the Iranian authorities uh, have said about you and done with you. Um, but but did you feel that way amongst the people too? I mean, my sense was that you you did get a lot of support from Iranians, uh, especially after the Gugush Academy thing, and and you know that 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 you've been seen as somebody that we're proud of, and that you would probably be hearing from a lot of people in the community around the world over the last ten years. It depends what support means, right? Yeah. Uh, not just like and comments and you're great. Not this kind of support. The support that I wanted to uh, have brave people around me to tell me like, okay, who do you know in Iran? Who should I meet? Like I went back all alone with nothing, you know, and it, all the women that are in my projects, this is the support, you know, and this is the brave women that are able to tell these stories. How can I try to make a change if they don't tell their stories? Right. So there was kind of this support. And also, you know, everywhere I went, it was like, you're too political in Sweden, in LA, wherever, like, what, what do you mean I'm too, I, I just try to tell stories about these women, you know? They say that too in Sweden? In Sweden too, because they say you're not going to succeed because everything you do is about Iran. And, uh, you know, because I, I want to do like fashion, arts and this, and like, no, nobody's going to buy your things also oh. because your focus is on Iran and Iran, you know, people kind of don't like Iran. <laughs> like this kind of stupid conversations. It's complex. It's not easy. You talked about your dad and I said, that, you know, it, is activism running in your blood? And you said, well, to be public to have a public voice let's get into your story i mean did you always see yourself as being in the public eye was was teenage uh Aravon in in sweden thinking i'm gonna eventually be somebody that people know around the world i knew i was different because imagine that you come to a city with like five immigrant families and everybody think your eyes are special because they're brown and your dark skin and your hair but when I grew up, I got bullied because of this, because I was like, I looked like a boy and everybody thought I was so ugly and skinny and this. So, you know, but before I got bullied, I'm like, wow, I'm special, you know. So I'm like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be a voice one day. How did the bullying affect you? Were you one of those people who, um, I mean, like me, resented uh, for a little while that your your background wondering why you have to be different from everybody else or were you always able to embrace it and see it for what it was in terms of bullying or racism or whatever actually it was the people immigrant people it was not swedish people bullying me oh you were being bullied by other immigrants the thing is last year i started to talk about this bullying thing because you know i do so many other things that i never thought they're bullying i'm like everybody gets bullied right but last year I was thinking about, but no, maybe that affected me that much that I still want to be a voice for others, you know, because I have the strength in me. Um, so, yeah, it affected me, but in a good way now, I guess. <laughs> Everyone can have a rough ride, but I think there's certainly people who get bullied more than others, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm pretty sure when I was growing up, there were people that didn't have to deal with being called a terrorist like I did, you know, so or whatever. So I, I think that you're being modest or you're or you're trying to um, not self victimize maybe by saying, you know, I was bullied and, and making a big deal of it. But it is kind of a big deal at the same time. 
Yeah, I know. Probably something I have to deal with. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, uh, yeah, in session. <laughs> no, a- but it was horrible. I talked about it in a big interview last year, and then I, you know, I was thinking about maybe that affected me. But many things in my life have happened that I'm thinking, was it that that affected me that I'm doing this stuff? Maybe it's all together. But it, uh, end of the day. The bottom is that it's been about uh, putting my voice down. How did, um, given that it was such a turning point, how did the Google Academy thing come about? Uh, well, uh, so when I was 20, around 20, I started to sing and I wanted to sing in Farsi. I don't know why, because the, back then we are, Arash was like exploding in the world, right? right? So I wanted to be the first female Arash. And he was in Sweden, right? He was a Swedish. Yeah, he was in Malmö. I even met him and his company and all of this. And then I started to work with some other people and they were like sending my music to LA and people were laughing, like laughing. Chedari um, have an accent, right? And I'm like, yeah, but isn't it cool that I'm Iranian, grew up in Sweden and want to do this? Like, Arash is doing that. Why can I not do it, you know? I was so positive, but no, they didn't want to do anything. And then I applied for Gugush Academy. And it was actually because of my accent, they accepted me. Interesting. Because yeah. you were different. Yeah. It was. Maybe they thought she's going to be the clown in the show, which I became, but a good clown. <laughs> you did not become a clown. You became beloved. I mean, you, you've t- t- tell me about that experience, because you've talked about that being this real point of consciousness for you around the plight of women, especially in Iran, after you heard from so many of them after that TV program. What, what did you hear? that so moved you it was during it was during the program so i came there you know singing in front of these people and my dad it was the first time he saw me on stage you know and gugush is sitting there and i was wearing a hat i was dancing i was being free on stage and something that i have to tell you before this uh when i was 20 21 and i started to sing and you know in our culture it's not so nice to sing and dance and be a performer and my dad actually told me he didn't like it first. So it was the first time I didn't spoke to my dad for three days because I'm like, how can you tell me this? You're an artist yourself, you yeah. know? But then he came, came to me and said, okay, I, I let you sing. You have to promise me two things. One thing that you never give up. And the second is when you become a voice, you help others. Uh, I was like 20 and this, oh, wow, (laughs) dad, you believe in me then? So I had that thought in my mind. So when I was 27, Wait a second. uh, Just let me sit with that for a second because the never give up part, that's so beautiful. In other words, he was saying, all right, if you're going to do this, do it. Don't, you know, not only will I support you, but I expect you to really go for it. And, and I, actually, that's a, that's a very beautiful thing for a parent to say. My parents are the best. Everywhere I go, everywhere I talk, I always thank them. Like, and I, everything I do is because of them, their support. And uh, I tell this also for parents to know this and be more supportive for the kids because even though I don't, I still don't have a real home for myself. And uh, 
yeah, the typical stuff you should have at this age. Mm. They never forced me. They just say go. Even Pakistan, 99% told me not to go. My parents say go, but be careful. And wow. I was crying that day, you know. I'm like, Dad, how can you be so nice? He's like, I know you're on a mission. So wow. just go. I'm wow. like, well, yeah. So you were saying you... By the age of 27, you've started singing. You've got the blessing of your dad. Yeah, I was one of the participations in Gugush Academy. And uh, every night I went on stage, and, you know, I felt, wow, finally. People, when they saw Gugush, they cried and fainted. Hmm. I went out I went out and called my dad. Dad, I'm singing for Gugush, you know. <laughs> I told you I'm going to make it. But during this competition, it was so many. Back then, we didn't have Instagram. We had Facebook, right? So, yeah. so many people wrote to me. And the ones that touched my heart the most was from girls in Iran telling me we cannot be on stage and sing. We cannot do this. We cannot do that. So every time it got like bigger burden for me to go on stage, like, why should I sing? It's 80 million in Iran. Why should I sing? Then I started to feel guilt. And this is also something I think about now, you know, what does this guilt do to you? But as an artist, you have to be so egoistic to make it, you know, you have to put 2000% in your voice and drive and everything. But I put down the microphone and I'm like, I want to tell these stories. I didn't know how, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I collected some girls that wrote to me and I said to them, Tell me how it is to live as a woman in Iran. So the first project became a book that you talked about, Zan. So it's nine women's story telling how it is to live in Iran against mm. all odds. Mm -hmm. And this is like support from people. We made this book together. It's not a big published mm -hmm. company, you know. Yeah, I should just remind people listening in case some, some folks don't know this or, uh, or for non-Iranians. Um, I mean, there's certain ways that we try to uh, explain to people that, uh, you know, Iran or Iranians are not all sort of barbaric backwards, you know, folks in terms of what happens in Iran. But there are some laws on the books that are just outstandingly offensive. Uh, it, one of them being that women still to this day can't sing, uh, I guess, uh, uh, the lead part in a song. Um, in Iran, is that right? And, and and can't record in Iran. Yeah, so they can sing if they sing traditional music. They can sing if they're back vocalist, and they can sing if they sing for women. So this is the rules. But they cannot be solo artists. They cannot stand on a stage like me and perform free and receive applause. The heartbreaking part is the um, once satellite TV becomes a really omnipresent thing in Iran, and certainly by 2010 it was. I mean, that's who many of the millions of viewers of Gugush Music Academy would have been. It's heartbreaking. They're watching you, and they're seeing you as a role model or an aspirational dream or something, and then they're realizing that the country they're in wouldn't even let them be able to do that, right? Is that what they were writing to you, basically? Yeah. And, you know, I have uh, famous people, uh, saw this, like, famous artists I have uh, that I love in Iran that, because it became a big show, they were watching me. I Now I know it because they wrote to me, like my idols, you know. Mm. And most of them say, it was enough if you kept singing. 
because still also they don't understand why I do these projects, you know, because this book and the documentary and why do you do, why didn't you focus on your song? Why didn't you, you could have been one of the biggest young artists, but after me, it came, this show was keep going maybe eight, nine seasons. So what is your answer to that question? Because I, I had that question as well. I mean, not to take anything away from what you're doing, obviously, but you work so hard to get to Google's Academy. You do well. You've got these millions of people who are following you. And then, I mean, to just check your Spotify in, in preparation for this interview, there's only a few songs there. I mean, you haven't, you, you've been so busy with the other things that you're doing that it hasn't only been about a music career or becoming a pop star or something like that. So what do you say to those people who say, why didn't you do that? Why are you focusing on a documentary and on your art projects and on uh, rights issues, etc.? First of all, the people in Iran, like these artists, they will never understand. Um, the, the, it's many people that don't understand and even my friends don't understand sometimes because i didn't make money for the past 11 years right i didn't have a salary i lived in bags this is the truth and most of the people working with human rights and are active they, they know it yeah. but when you have a vision and when you're a voice and when you have this drive that you're able to tell stories that can be an inspiration for so many other people and also middle of this try to create a change you know i started 11 years ago with the stories about singers in every time i'm on stage because i still perform sometimes when i'm on stage i'm like how many people in this room know it's not allowed to sing in iran hmm. just simple song and when they know it, I don't want people to feel guilty, but then we know like how privileged we are. And I think we have to be reminded more how privileged we are. And I don't want people to go and work with this art and this, the, just help another person, that is enough. So when they tell me this, sometimes I don't have answers because I, I'm not here to convince other people why my I think my work is important, but yeah. But do you, have you had moments i mean just to be rook about it you know have you had moments in the last decade where you go fuck i i could have been i should have focused on that music thing to be you know uh this beyonce now or something i don't know uh and instead i've been doing all of this stuff and and i'm living out of bags and i i wouldn't mind having some penthouse suite in a fancy condo or something you know if that was the goal, I would probably have a lot of uh, houses and cars and this, but it's not been important for me because I come from this family that it's not important to have stuff. Sometimes my dad get really, you know, he's so emotional and he's so romantic. Sometimes he cry and say, sorry, I couldn't give you uh, like, you know, because sometimes people think the support I get is like money, you know, right. and he cries sometimes, sorry, I'm like that, you gave me the best gift, you yeah. saved us from this country, and you let me follow my dreams. What did it mean to become UN ambassador for women in Sweden? Well, that was the nicest gift for my work, but it was after my book was published, 2014. Uh, that was like, okay, you're on the right way just go you know so that meant a lot so i was that until 2019 i think i'm the first iranian woman so i'm very proud of that but then back then my focus was only on iran 
So they supported me everywhere we went together. I talked about this woman, but it's also, you know, to inspire other women in Scandinavia that, come on, we're free, do something, whatever, you know? So, yeah. So uh, I have to ask you then about artdom and what happened in, in Iran in 2018. Uh, tell, tell us first about this, this exhibition, this idea, artdom, that you've been touring with a little bit. Okay, so 11 years ago, same time I started the book project, I, I said out loud, I want to do a documentary about girls in Iran that still are forbidden to sing. So I went back uh, two times, even though artists cannot go back, uh, and I kind of risk my life to go back. Because it was so important to me to meet the woman in the book, in the documentary, to ask them how it is. How it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, last time I was there, I started Artem too, and that is uh, an art project. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how to now. I don't want to confuse people because <laughs> I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> No, there's a documentary and there's an art project and, and uh, art yeah. and people can check out online. It's, I mean, it's very interesting, integrative, uh, um, working with women in, in different parts of the world now. Um, yeah, it's a collaboration between two countries and two female artists that connect and paint together. So it started when I was in Iran. I met five artists and I gave them a canvas each and I told them to paint half of it about the theme freedom. So they painted half of it and the other half, I matched them with a Swedish artist. So when I came back to Sweden, without them knowing, so it's about trusting the process and have faith in each other as women and as artists. So the other artists see this and it's very hard for them to be number two because they always say, we don't want to ruin this part. But I say, it's about trusting each other. Let's create magic. So they paint and luckily enough, we it's um, magical pieces. It's so unique and it's two stories in one painting. So I started with Iran and Sweden, 10 women, five paintings it became. So we had seven exhibitions and we were supposed to have one in Iran, which got banned. So the first time you said you went to Iran twice, the first time was when, what year? Uh, 2013. Okay. And you go and nothing happens. Everything's okay. Nobody stops you. Nobody has any issues. Uh, this is after Gugush Academy. So it was really risky uh, because I know a lot of people are afraid to go back. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe I was lucky, yeah. but I was, of course, careful. I had my ways to come into the countries. Um, yeah, but you, you have your uh, ways. Sorry, what like meaning you don't just fly to the airport in Tehran? Uh, maybe I'm a little bit scared to tell. Oh, okay, ways, okay, okay. <laughs> That's okay. If you you tell me whatever you're comfortable with, but that, I'm I'm very interested. I mean, a lot of us want to go to Iran and know that it could be a real problem. So I'm always interested to ask how somebody oh, okay. did it. I can't tell you. I have two passports, right? So I used uh, one of them to get in and one of them to get out. Uh, but now when I'm banned, 
it doesn't matter. I don't even want my Persian passport anymore. So in twenty, so twenty thirteen, you go and come back. But in in twenty eighteen is the time that you get you get banned and you you basically get kicked out of the country. Uh, what 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 happened? How did that happen? Uh, well, it didn't happen like that. So I went back because I want to continue the stories about the girls in my documentary. I've been following uh, five six artists for six, seven years. So I wanted to go back and see how their life were. And they recommended, let's do a show. Let's do a live performance. And I told them, okay, guys, listen, you tell me how we can make this. There, it was their idea because we were doing a song together. So I said, let's do, let's do it, but you have to help me. So how can we do it and be careful? Should we have a uh, hijab? Should we not have, you know, all the details were planned and we were so careful. But when we had the show, and this is like, nobody knows of, I've been talking about it in Swedish radio interviews, but like not in the Iranian mm -hmm. interviews or something. Okay. But somebody found out, it was leaked out. And that night I had to flee again from the country. It was one of the most dramatic nights in my life and afterwards also too. And now I can talk about it without crying, but it, it was, imagine at this age, you had to flee from yeah. this beautiful country again. Yeah. I, I was, also, I was thinking about the women who are in the documentary or the female artists you've talked about. Um, this, this has implications for them too. They, they sound like very brave people. Would that be true? Well, they're the bravest girl I met. People tell me I'm brave. I'm like, okay, I was brave to go back, but these women are so brave, but uh, they don't live there anymore. Oh. Three of them don't live there anymore. One lives in Canada, one lives in Germany, and one now in Sweden. And now this is the proof. You cannot sing in Iran. If you want to sing, you have to move, flee, or yeah, and say goodbye to your family. So this, we, we have this in the documentary right now, like you cannot stay in Iran and sing. So I met actually last week, one of the girls I've been following for seven years. And I just wanted to ask her, was it worth it? You know? And what did she say? Well, you have to watch the documentary. Well, when is the documentary coming out? Ask my producer. <laughs> it, it was supposed to be done you. two years ago. <laughs> We hope next year because I feel um, done filming. I've been filming for ten years. That's very. Uh, I, I, I'm very much look forward to seeing that. You know, it's so interesting that what your journey has become because there's a notion around. I mean, I know these these programs are very popular, American Idol or Gugush Music Academy or The Voice, but but there's a notion that these can be very superficial programs and it's about making, uh, you know, it's not really about art and it's just, it's about artifice and it's just kind of uh, turning everything into a talent contest and uh, for, for TV ratings and things. And, and then I hear a story like this and I think I'm, um, I'm grateful that it's a strange jumping off point <laughs> doing songs, you know, for Goo Goo Shot, a glitzy show. But I'm glad that happened to be able to bring you and your voice to these platforms that you are that you're using in such industrious ways. 
Yeah, but maybe, you know, sometimes I'm thinking maybe I should wait to be that Beyonce famous. You know, like my dad say, when you become famous, you have to help others. Maybe I should wait because maybe then I would get like sponsors and, you know, this kind of stuff. It's been really, really tough to do this, you know. It's like, because if I would have waited, but then again, it's like, I just try to enjoy the ride. Well, you you certainly... Um, haven't stopped and I, I'll end with this in one of your your latest Instagram posts you quote uh, Banksy the difficult yeah. to find uh, rebellious artist that we, we love and you say if you get tired learn to rest not to quit and you hashtag it dream big so what are you dreaming big about these days so all my posts ends with dream big hashtag and dreaming big is about we all have to find, um, well, I just want to be an inspiration that we all can do bigger thing in life and be a bigger voice for ourselves also, you know. And uh, there is so much out there and we can do so much. Like we can choose one thing and try to just go for it. You know, my, you know what my advice would be? No. Tell me. <laughs> Learn to rest, not to quit. <laughs> but that's the same. <laughs> Isn't it the same quote? Did you steal it? And yes, make it I, yours? I, I, I stole it from Banksy, but he's stolen a lot of things, to be fair, over the years. So <laughs> I think it's fair. Uh, it has been a, a revelation and, um, uh, and, and very enjoyable talking to you. Thank you for making the time. I know you're exhausted and you're in the middle of moving Resting. all over the place. And, <laughs> Uh, you're, you're this nomadic soul that we are lucky enough to have found in one place for 25 minutes uh, for an hour to talk to. Thank you for doing this. We'll be watching your uh, continued progress. I hope that Artdom can come to Canada so we see you here in North America as well. Uh, but uh, stay in touch in the meantime. Me too. Thank you so much for having me and hearing my stories and this other stories. And yeah, let's hope we all meet one day. Indeed. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. is an artist, author, singer. She was the UN ambassador for women in Sweden from 2014 to 2019. Her latest project is called Artdom, and we reached Aravon in Stockholm, Sweden today. All right. That's full time for Rook for today. Thank you to Aravon, to Kimia Yousafi, the Rook Gang. Listen, if you want to check out any of our previous episodes or all that we've been up to, our list of guests, and our patrons page, and then where you can support us, rookmedia.com is the place to go. Rookmedia.com is our website. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, Ponta the Artist, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham, Aray Mertod, Master Muhammad, Chef Haas, Captain Reva, Captain Reva, and Groovy Shia, Captain Reza. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizunbashi. Bashi.